Hello listeners and welcome back to the 12th TFA Daily World Cup podcast of our World Cup series. I'm your host Adam Scully and we have another exciting episode for you all today. We're down now to the final few games of the hectic group phase of the World Cup and there were some shocks in store in Wednesday's fixtures. In the early games, Tunisia triumphed over a highly rotated French side, but their victory was in vain as Australia's unlikely heroics against Denmark meant that Graham Arnold's side progressed to the knockout phase, causing Casper Hulman's Euro semi-finalists to pack their bags prematurely. Denmark are heading home in what is potentially the most surprising elimination of the tournament so far. Meanwhile, in the late night fixtures, Mexico defeated Saudi Arabia in a tense 2 1 affair. But like Valid Regragi's Tunisia, the victory meant little but a boost in their pride as Gerardo Martino's side couldn't better Poland's goal difference. As Chemislav Miknevich's men progressed as a second place team despite losing to an audacious Argentina who finished top of the group table. In this episode of the podcast, we will tactically review each of the four games in another can't-miss episode. There's lots to get into in this one, and I'm joined by TFA analysts David Estill and Satish as we review the tactics from yesterday's results in this action-packed episode. So without further ado, let's dive right into the analysis. David, Satish, thank you so much for joining me today. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the past 24 hours of World Cup action. We've a lot to get into, so I'm going to jump straight in and start with the games between France and Tunisia. Surprisingly, Tunisia beat France 1 0. Didier Deschamps did rotate nearly everyone. I think he rotated nine of the starting 11. And he also brought in legend Steve Mandanda in goal, which was a very satisfying um, player to, to see in the starting lineup. And I'm not going to lie to you, I didn't know he got brought to the World Cup. Uh, I, didn't, I wasn't fully clued up on France's overall squad. I had a good idea. I did not know that Steve Mandanda was in the squad. He did start. Uh, he unfortunately conceded. I felt he maybe could have done a little bit better. The shot wasn't... I mean, the shot was in his direction. But anyway, don't want to be too critical. He's a he's a football legend. Um, yeah, they did lose 1-0. And he rotated quite a lot. One of the most interesting changes he made was putting uh, Eduardo Camavinga left back. He had a pretty, pretty good game. He progressed the ball really well. And I think Aurelien Chiuameni spoke before about how he's, he's able to play that position. Uh, that was before the game. I was quite surprised to see him there anyway. But he did well. David, is it just a, a simple case of France rotated almost everyone? The chemistry wasn't quite there and they ended up slipping up even though they still went through as top, you know, the top-seeded team. Um, yes and no. Um, you know, rotation never really helps when you're looking for continuity because mm-hmm. you're, you're always going to have time. You know, you're going to need time to to gel different players together who don't necessarily play together for their, their clubs and then come in and play a game like that and, you know, never really played together apart from in training. So, yes, in that sense, but also I think you look at that goal, there were at least two mistakes that France made. I mean, it was a bad goal to concede because you look at uh, Fafana in the midfield who just stopped. I mean, um, I think it was yeah, Kasri who just basically breezed past him. I think I think they said it on the, on the commentary that, you know, Fafana obviously felt a touch, stopped. He looked at the referee. That was that was visible. Anyone looking could see that. He stopped. He looked at referee. Meanwhile, Kasri's running towards goal. And it was it was just kind of that, you know, they didn't have that um urgency, if you like. So in that sense, there there was mistakes. And you mentioned how Mandanda could have done a little bit better with the save. Um, so yes, you know, rotation did have something to do with it, but also I think that goal really almost killed them off that that showed that you know, even though it was still quite early in the game they weren't the same team that they are when they've got the likes of Dembele and Mbappe 
you know, that sort of fluency that they had or that they have had in the last two games. That for me is the worry with France because you look at that and you think, well, if you take out their star names, are they the same team? Mm. One of the bases yesterday, no. That means, you know, if you if you get an injury to Mbappe, which could happen, you never know. Will they be the same team? Will they have that same attacking fluency if you get an injury to, I don't know, someone like Rafael Varane? I know he played yesterday. But, you know, a really star name like that, you take someone out who's been really key at the back. Um, will they have that same defensive solidity? Again, most of yesterday, maybe not. So th- there's a few issues for me with France that were, that were highlighted yesterday. But, um, but yeah, in, in terms of the results, I mean, Tunisia, I think, did deserve it. They were the better side. Uh, for me, I think France just looked a little bit slow and lethargic at times. Um, so, yeah. I feel, I feel Tunisia can be quite hard done by overall in the group. I mean, they got a great point against Denmark and they should have won that game. They had numerous chances and I spoke several times before on the podcast. Kasper Schmeichel had a great game that time in that match, sorry. Um, and then they beat France and they pick up four points. Unfortunately, they lost to Australia, which was the... I suppose what hindered them really, and and now Australia, have, have, which we'll move on to now. And Satish, I'll come to you on this. Australia finish level on points with France and progress out of the group phase. Now they will face Argentina, which is going to be um, fascinating. Watching Harry Souter against Lionel Messi, That's <laughs> one of the greatest <laughs> battles I think I've ever seen in a World Cup. Um, but yeah, Denmark crash out as the bottom, the bottom team. What went wrong? I mean. Uh, Let's be, let's be real. The game against Denmark, or the game against Tunisia, sorry, as I spoke about a second ago, they should have lost. They got, they did okay against France at times, and then France overcame them with the quality, and I think France deserved the win and the overall run of, of of the play. And against Australia yesterday, the Australia were really good. Okay, Denmark had some chances, but Australia were. I know that sounds cliched and not very tactical. I mean, they were putting their body on the line. I mean, some of the blocks they were making. So talk to me about what what went wrong with Denmark. Oh, well, I think Denmark, they had a lot of chances in the game. But what really went wrong with them is like they got frustrated because the first 45 minutes, Denmark had a lot of chances. But then at the end of first half, the score was 0-0. So I think in the second half, they wanted to commit themselves. I think that was the reason because the Australia, like they forced Denmark to come in players. And that's why they were able to score in the counter. And at, even at the counter, I think Denmark were like, they would probably not be able to score. And I, I didn't feel like they were actually committing. I didn't see players running back. During the counter, there were only two centre-backs that they were actually like trying to hold the ball. So I think I wouldn't like call it a tactic by Australia, like for them to like pressurize players, like commit them. But it just happened. Denmark were frustrated. They had to win this game. So they did I have think... to win the game, but I actually was quite fascinated by the fact that when it was goalless, they looked like they were already true. And I was thinking, like Australia looked like they just they need they they really wanted to win this game and they had to win it. Whereas Denmark looked yeah. pretty blasé. And I was thinking, well, you're you're going out at the minute. They just looked kind of. Uh... They committed themselves. Australia, they were there till the last ten, and once they scored the goal, they they were very sure no matter what happens, they shouldn't concede a goal and they shouldn't draw. So. I think it was like it was Denmark's fault. Like Australia literally forced them to commit players. Maybe Denmark they could have tried, you know, they could have kept on the possession, they could have still kept going because they had quite a number of chances in the first half and there are quite a good saves from Australia too. So maybe if they were a bit slow and if they didn't show urgency in the early second half, they could have scored a goal. But Australia scoring first completely changed the mindset of the game. Yeah, you're right, it did. 
and I was really interested in the fact that myself and actually David spoke uh, on a previous episode about Denmark and would they change their shape. They did actually change the shape for this game, which was a little bit of a surprise, although considering how poor they were with the back three, I, I wasn't, I, I mean, I thought it was actually the right move. They, I mean, they probably looked worse, if anything. It was, it was quite shocking, but I, I don't want to keep being speaking about the negative, uh, the negative from the match. We'll talk about the positives, David. Australia are true to the knockouts. What, six points from, from nine, level with France, incredible turnaround. And just while I'm saying this, a massive congratulations to Renan Mullenstein. I've said this about a million times in the podcast, but he is the assistant manager of Australia. He did a podcast re, uh, back, back in the summer with us. Um, what a guy, and I was so happy to see him yesterday. He was, he was buzzing. Talk to me about Australia then. They were excellent. Two clean sheets. Absolutely brilliant. Um, and they thoroughly, thoroughly deserve to go through because I'm not sure anyone, including me, um, and I'm sure everyone at TFA, no one expected them to get through the group stage. When you looked at the group and you thought, well, the only realistic game they might win is a Tunisia game, but that's you know, that's still going to be a tough one. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at their performances in the last tournament at Russia, they, I don't think they won a game if, if off the top of my head. I think they, they came bottom. Um, they they played France in that one. They played Denmark in that one. Um, they didn't play Tunisia, um, and you know didn't really get the results. But this time they've they've turned up. They they have a nice balance to the team. They've got um, a good mix at the back of players who can head clear like Harry Suter. Uh, they've got players who can play out from the back. You've got fullbacks who like to get forward, uh, like Behic, uh, and I can't remember who was playing right. Oh, um, well, I can't remember who, who was playing right back. Karacic maybe. Um, and yeah, so you've got a nice mix uh, uh, in um, defence midfield. You've got Aaron Moy, uh, Jackson Irvine, who are really good enforcers. Um, Aaron Moy's shown at Brighton, at Huddersfield, at Celtic. You know, he can sit in front of the defence and sort of just protect. Irvine's a really good box-to-box player, scores goals, protects uh, defences. Then you've got Riley McGree, who's a really creative player. He started well at, at um, Middlesbrough. Was very rate, very highly rated at Birmingham. Um, you've got the wingers Lecky and and um, uh, Goodwin, uh, both you know really good. I talked previously about how Lecky is their outlet, um, who they target, and you know you saw that yesterday because they played a long ball up towards him, and you know we saw the result with the goal. That's the way they like to play. They like to sort of um, you know have the pressure at the back, but then hit teams on the counter when they can. And and you've got you know a player like Mitchell Duke who's a brilliant target player, and uh, you know we saw against Tunisia he likes to get in, in the right area and get his head on the ball. He likes to, likes to be effective. So um, yeah, and, and like I said, Australia thoroughly deserves to go through because they just have a really nice balance throughout the team. They've got players who can bring different things, and I think that's what's caught teams out is they're not quite sure how they're going to play because they've got the ability to sit back and sit back and defend. They've got the ability to go forward and, and press from the front when they need to. They did a bit of, bit of both uh, against Denmark. They sort of sat back a bit. They also pressed a bit from the front, particularly, I think, in the first half, they sort of did a bit, tried to work their way into the game. So, yeah, yeah, for me, I thought it was the right result on the day because, like you said, Denmark were okay. Um, they had some positives. They had some negative aspects to their game. But Australia, you know, really, really deserve it. And, and you know, when it came to it, bodies on the line, Harry Stoos was brilliant at just making yeah. goal line blocks and things. So when it came to it, I mean, you know, how could he not? He, he's so normal. Yeah, he's got to yeah, kind of stand brilliant. there. <laughs> I know. But when it came to it, as I said, they, they thoroughly, thoroughly deserve a win. Yeah, I was delighted to do that. 
Sorry, go on, Sitish. Yeah, I wanted to add on to that because because you mentioned they had poor clean sheets from the group stage, right? Because I think that I wanted to add on is like Australia, they have the fourth lowest, like highest opponents expected goal. That is like fourth from the bottom, which means they have been conceding chances. Like they have been giving opponents the chances to score. But I think like as David and even you mentioned, like they have been putting bodies on the line. They have been blocking shots. Like they have been putting that extra effort to not concede. I think that is the reason why they have been able to progress to the round of 16. Of course. And as I said, it was so strange watching. I mean, they were above Denmark going into the game anyway, but it was so strange seeing how... And again, it doesn't sound tactical, but body language is so telling in football. And when a team clearly, the, the Danish body language from nearly all the players was so off. And you could tell Australia were doing everything they could. It would have been good if they didn't get away with a, a win, but they did. They got a huge win. One of their biggest wins in recent history, I would, I would say. I mean, Denmark are Euro semi-finalists, let's not forget. You know, they're a really good side, some excellent yeah, yeah. players. Christian Eriksen's in midfield, like they have some wonderful players. Um, so yeah, I was I was absolutely buzzing for Australia, but the real drama came in the late fixtures. Mexico were two 0 up as time entered into the ninetieth minute. Poland were two 0 down. I think Mexico were going home on yellow cards, if I'm not mistaken, which is just ludicrous. It's such a ludicrous rule in the World Cup. But anyway, Mexico just needed one more goal. There was seven minutes added on. Poland had to not concede another goal. And Mexico conceded. I had Mexico in, in my family sweepstake. I am gutted <laughs> that we were I think, that close. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the first time that Mexico is even not qualifying for the round of 16. Right? I think in the past yeah. 16 years or something, this is the first time Mexico is not qualifying. So, it's unbelievable because it, I don't think the squad is that bad. They've some decent players. You know, no, they're good. Yeah. Edson Alvarez, they were Raul Jimenez, although I know he was, he's been a bit in and out of his side for club and country due to injury over the last two years, but he's still an excellent player. I mean, Hervin Lozano, of course, another fantastic talent, Henry Martin as well, uh, who scored yesterday, a really, really good player. And then, of course, the legend, Guillermo Ochoa in goal, but they conceded then, they pushed so many men forward. The goal that said Ravia scored was quite, um, I mean, it was quite poor defending, let's be real, and, and he ended up pulling a goal back, which meant they were out, but we'll speak about Poland and Argentina. Argentina won 2-0, but Poland just didn't even bother going forward. I mean, we discussed this in the first game against Mexico, they drew nil all. Chemishrov Miknevich went with a 6-3-1, low block. Lewandowski up front on his own. Didn't bother really going forward. They had a penalty, they could have won the game, to be fair, I'll give him credit. Second game, he goes with Milliken Lewandowski up front. And they're much more of a threat. And okay, they again, they probably should have conceded against Saudi Arabia. In terms of the XG, I mean, it was Saudi Arabia almost, has, almost had two XG, and that's not even counting the penalty, which is bizarre. But they looked far more threatening. They scored two goals. And against Argentina, and again, he reverts to a 6-3-1. Lewandowski on his own, completely isolated. They didn't even land a blow. Uh, Satish, I'll come to you on this. I mean, they they have, I think they have France now, if, if I'm not mistaken, in the in the knockouts. Yeah, like how can how can Poland be more threatening? I mean, well, I suppose I, I know how they can be more threatening, but why are they so conservative? And I understand they want to probably keep goals out, but it didn't really work. Yes, and even at two 0 they were parking the bus because they couldn't concede another goal. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you because initially when you saw how Poland played, they were defending in a 4-4-1-1 formation. But towards the end, after they considered two goals, they switched to a 5-3-2 because at one point of time, I think they knew they, they weren't able to score. So I think they just wanted to qualify. So I think they made sure they don't concede goal. And I think that 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 mentality was inserted to them, which probably like they they didn't want to concede and they didn't want to score. It was something like that because they wanted to make sure they were qualified to the round of 16. And I think this was the best game from Argentina because in the group stage so far, because they had the tempo. Because earlier I felt they moved the ball around very slowly, but this game there was the right tempo and there's there's switch like switch of plays because earlier they the only they relied on Di Maria to like penetrate to like to get into the box. But this game it was on equal sides. I think they had more penetrations from the left than the right. So they played well. And at this point, Poland they wanted to like they wanted to defend and they've completely relied on Lewandowski. I think their tactic was to pass it to him, make sure Lewandowski holds the ball, and then they commit players forward. But the issue I have with that though is right, and I'll tell you the issue I have with that. I'm actually writing a piece on it this week, which will be on the TFA website. I'm looking forward for people to to read it, I suppose, and putting a lot of work into it. But when as you said, they defend in a four one, four one low block. But the issue is the wing the wingers always drop back into the back line. It creates a six three one because they're usually marking the opposition's fullbacks when they get high. The problem is though when you when you're in transition and you win the ball back and you play it up to Lewandowski, your your wingers are so deep. So okay, the opposition have space where the fullback should be. You can attack them areas, but their wing wingers are so so deep they can't get up in time, and it's they're just Lewandowski isolated. I mean, you're not going to do a counter attack with Gregor Skrkoviak. Let's be real. You know, it's yeah. it's not it's not an ideal situation when you're attacking when you're going in, in transition. I think that was more of a situation that Argentina forced them to because they needed two defenders to like cover for the area, like want to go for the ball, say the winger to go for the ball and the fullback to like hold and support for them. So that way they had two two like two of their players commit to the wing. And when Lewandowski received the ball, I'm not sure if you guys noted, like whenever Lewandowski received the ball, they had he he had three Argentina players around it. So like every time Lewandowski had the ball, like he received the ball, he didn't have the possession for more than a second because he was crowded immediately to win the ball back. So it, yeah. it was like more of a tactical way of Argentina forcing Poland to lose possession immediately. And at one point it felt like Poland like all because of all this tactical way of tactical thing of Argentina playing, they were like, okay, fine. We'll not be able to score. So let's not concede. So I think but that's something that happened. Yeah, but they did concede, but they didn't want to concede more because one more goal they had conceded and then they would have been out of the round of yeah. six. Games. I mean, in, in my opinion, I just think they were quite, they were, they were really fortunate. Argentina could have scored four or five. I mean, they had a penalty, which was probably a, a bizarre decision anyway, but they still did have yeah. a penalty. And then, I mean, I was just quite taken aback by they have some good attacking talent. I was just taken aback by how little he, he has wanted to attack in this World Cup. Even against Saudi Arabia, they sat back. David, again, I, I'm just I'm the negative Nancy of the room, though, but I'll come to you on Argentina. They were really good. Did they look much more secured now in terms of their ability to go all the way in the World Cup than they did, obviously, in the first match against Saudi Arabia? Yeah, I mean, the, the turnaround, it sounds really strange given it's Argentina and given the ex expectations we have beforehand, but the turnaround between the first game and now has been really, really good to see. Um, I mean, we looked at that first game, we thought, you know, wow, that's this is a team that we expected to be challenging and they've just lost really poor games to Saudi Arabia where they frankly did deserve to lose. 
And then you look at the next two games and you think, oh, okay, they're starting to build a little bit of steam here. But yeah, last night, I thought they were really, really good, particularly in the second half when they really had to sort of, you know, turn the gear up, if you like. Um, and and they did. They found another gear. They were ruthless when they had the chances. They could have scored more. Um, I mean, Messi had a few opportunities that he sort of scuffed, for want of better words. They were really <laughs> poor efforts. Um but they, they moved the ball around. They were tidy as well. I mean, that first goal was just the, the accuracy of the execution of the move was was really good. And it was, it was you know, it came so soon after half time that it was a bit like, you know, they must have said at half time, just go out, get that goal, settle into the game. And then we know that once we got that game, sorry, got that goal, um, that, you know, we, we're in a good position then and we can, we can move around and, and work with that. So they did that. And as I said, it was a really nice goal. And then obviously, you know, the second one was was also really good. So, yeah, it was it was a, a clinical performance in terms of getting details right. Um, but like you said, they could have scored more. I was a bit disappointed in the end; it didn't go for more. They seemed to be a bit kind of let's play keep ball and just just try not to concede. I was a bit disappointed at that. Maybe that's because I obviously wanted to score so Mexico could go through. But um, yeah, it just seemed to me a little bit as you know, we've got what we need. Let's not concede now, which you can completely understand. You know, they're, they're trying got to keep some energy in reserve for the knockouts because that's when it really gets, you know, the heat gets turned up. Um, but yeah, a tidy performance, got the job done. Um, it was it was a good performance because, like you said, um, Satish Poland sat back. I was actually really disappointed with Poland. I completely agree. Lewandowski was completely isolated. It was a really, really, I say it was brave performance by Poland because they clearly their mentality was we can if we don't concede we've got a chance of going through well with mexico scoring that got a little bit nervy it was brave it was um a boring way to play i'm going to say that um but you know argentina managed to work their way through it and break them down and got got the goals so yeah yeah and i i don't want to sound like i'm criticizing teams that sit back and defend there's absolutely nothing wrong with using a lot yeah, it's, it's a good way of playing it's of a course way of playing. but my yeah. issue always comes in you know, I I believe that you you defend as you mean to attack, and you attack as you mean to defend. And I think when you're just defending for defending's sake, that's where yeah. my issue comes in because they clearly had no no game plan to go forward really, and no. I think that just kind of takes. I, I don't know, as football to me will always be an entertainment sport, and I understand people want to go on about results, and it's a it's a it's a it's a an argument as old as time. You know, results versus entertainment. But for me, there's got, there's got to be an attacking game plan there where you try and score somehow, and that clearly wasn't. But it does mean there's another week where I have to pronounce uh, Polish names, which I'm <laughs> not looking forward to. I, I perfected the manager's names and then a couple of others, but I'm going to try limit as many uh, that I say as possible. We will move on, though, to previewing tomorrow's fixtures. First up, we have the Luis Suarez derby. Luis Suarez added further fuel to the fire today uh, in his press conference. I'm not sure if you both saw his comments where he basically, uh, a Ghanaian journalist asked him about the 2010 handball and he said something like, well, I didn't, it's not my fault. I didn't miss the penalty. So, you know, Luis Suarez, in typical Luis Suarez fashion, has to (laughs) just cause further angst against him. But Ghana, can get revenge tomorrow. Satish, I'll come to you on this. Uruguay haven't been impressive at all. Yeah, I mean, I, they haven't yeah, picked up a single uh, point. Oh, sorry, they, they haven't I scored a single goal. goal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The only team not to score in the league. And I think they have 
found it hard to find the stability this season. Like they have been switching their formations, they have been experimenting in, in the group stages. I think that's been one of their main major problems. And I think they have been, they have found it hard to find their striker because their progression is like they are able to move the ball up front, but they they are finding it hard to find their like attacker. So I think that's where the problem is for Uruguay. And in terms of Ghana, I think Ghana can really hurt Uruguay because they have been creating their chances, they have been scoring goals, like they have been they have been very good with finishing this season. If you look at the difference between goals and expected goal to like judge how good they have been, they literally are the second best team in this World Cup to in terms of finishing behind Spain. So I think they could really hurt Uruguay if they like they can create chances and but at the same time, Ghana also have been very poor in terms of goals conceding. They are again like sixth from the bottom. So it's going to be a balance. Like they have to make sure they do not concede. And at the same time, they have to make sure they convert their chances, which they have been doing very good at this moment. So they have to keep doing what they're doing with Williams at front. They just have to make sure they do not concede, which I don't think should be a problem given Uruguay has never scored, scored a goal this season. This World Cup, so it's going to be a good game. And since Juarez is back, it would be interesting to see how Uruguay like come up with a different game plan. I think personally, the three men at the back is not working for them. Like they're they're, they're leaving too much space while defending. So I think it would be best if they go out with a four-four-two, which gives a balanced like formation while attacking and defending. And even while Ghana is lining up in a four-four-one-one, it should be a good tactical battle. Yeah, it's it's for Uruguay. I mean, they have Luis Suarez, they have Edinson Cavani, they have Maximiliano, Maximiliano Gomez, and then they have, uh, of course, Darwin Nunes. And they haven't scored a single goal. It's, it's it's almost like Alonso hasn't quite found the perfect combination he wants to use up front. And I feel like, you know, a must-win game against Ghana now in the World Cup to decide whether you're going through or not isn't the best time for kind of seeing who your best down 11 is. You kind of need to do that before the World Cup, although I understand that he didn't have that much time in, in preparation. We'll move on, though, to the second game of that group. And by the way, all of the bottom three teams, well, I say second, third, and fourth team, they can all go through. So South Korea can beat Portugal. David, will we have a similar scenario that we saw with Tunisia and France where Portugal completely rotate the starting 11 and they are quite underwhelming and you can see South Korea pick up a nice three points? I could definitely see some rotation. Um I don't know if we'll see it as much as we did with France because it doesn't seem to me like Fernando Santos is that type of manager. He he will probably like to keep his players ticking over. I, I think definitely Ronaldo won't start. I suspect he'll keep him in reserve. You know, if they're losing a bit like France did bringing him back. Here's Morgan will be see, licking his lips. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I can see that Ronaldo might come on if they're losing. Um, but... Yeah, I, I think there'll be some rotation, but he'll want to keep some key players in some key positions. I think he'll be aware of the fact that aside from Bruno Fernandes, aside from Ronaldo, aside from maybe Rafael Guerrero getting up the left wing, some of his players haven't really turned up yet. You've looked at some of the, the players they've got. Ruben Neves has been okay, but I haven't really seen too much from him of note. Um, you know, so, so there's little bits here and there. I think he'll just want to keep ticking over and keep working on. So I don't think we'll see as much rotation. With that in mind, for South Korea, um, well, their best chance is going to be hitting Portugal on the break, realistically, which is what they did to great effect against Uruguay. Um, you know, when when they uh, had their chances, they generally came because they sent long balls in and, and tried to break Portugal down by counterattacking against them. Um, 
So I think that's what we'll see a bit from South Korea. They'll try and use the pace of Son and, and uh, Cho and whoever else starts up front. Um, it's, a, it's a tricky one because, you know, it's another really, really interesting tactical battle. It, it could be one, it could be the other. It just depends how much rotation Portugal do and what sort of game plan South Korea have for me. And then from there, we'll see what sort of game we might get. And Paulo Bento will want to get one over his former side. He was, of course, the Portuguese manager in 2014, where they significantly underperformed. So it would be a nice way for him to get some kind of revenge in a weird way, even though he kind of underperformed mm-hmm. at the job. So ultimately, he, he lost. And Fernando Santos came in, which was a nice, uh, good replacement, I suppose, considering they won the Euros only two years later. We'll move on, though, to Cameroon and Brazil. Cameroon were pretty fun, <laughs> is the best way to put it, in the last game. they clawed back a 3-1 deficit against Serbia to draw 3-0. But I just, I spoke about this with Lee when we were reviewing the game. I can't help but feel Cameroon's defensive structure is just so permeable that Brazil will rip them to shreds. I mean, they go for kind of a a man-to-man approach inside their block, but you can just drop deep and one one player, the the midfielder will follow you and you leave space behind. They're just so easy to pull out of position and I do worry Satish again I suppose I'll ask you this a similar question to what I said to David in the last one about Portugal will they rotate as well will this give Cameroon the opportunity to get one of their biggest victories of in the last of certainly the 24th century anyway yeah I mean again I personally feel Brazil would make rotations they would try to give rest to majority of their giants but given like they did see how France kind of failed when they tried to rotate a lot of players. So I think they wouldn't rotate, like we wouldn't see as much as rotation as we saw in the France game. But yes, I do agree. I, we can expect a few rotations in the Brazil's game. And yeah, of course, I mean, we all know who's going to be the win- winner out of this game because it's quite evident unless a miracle happens, I'm, right. I'm expect Yeah, unless a miracle happens, I'm expecting like Brazil to win this game. But I think Brazil have to be careful in transition to attack because that's the way how Cameroon has been playing. They have been hitting the long balls and they've been like hitting the counters and something to take note is like Cameroon has the second highest efficiency in counter attacks in, in the league. So although I might say Brazil will win, I think Brazil has to be a bit of like they have to be quite careful in terms of defending. Like you don't threaten them a lot, but they have to just keep in check in terms of like transition to what. So yeah. And of course, Brazil do have. Well, I'd imagine they'll keep Allison in goal, who's obviously, in my opinion, the best goalkeeper in the world. But he's wonderful at leaving his line, and he does so many times with Liverpool. He saved them. He saved our backside so many times over the last couple of seasons from balls in behind and transition. So he'll be important. And even if Ederson plays, he's also just as equally as astute as that. Yeah, but David, exactly. And. Sorry, go on. Brazil, Brazil, sorry, exactly. And Brazil also has the second highest best defensive record just like in this World Cup. Like mm-hmm. behind, like Argentina has the lowest opponents expected goal and followed by Brazil. So I think it shouldn't be a trouble for them, but it's good to be careful of yeah. their counter attacks. David, I'll come to you then on the final game. Uh, Serbia have a really good side, but they are currently bottom of the group. Although Brazil, considering their heavy favourites to be Cameroon, this is kind of in their hands if they pick up three points here against Switzerland. They'll knock Switzerland out, essentially, and overtake them in second place. How do you see this game going? And, and I, I, To be honest, I, I would still consider Serbia favourites to go through, even though they're fourth. I, I haven't been impressed with Switzerland. And I thought against Brazil, they 
were kind of wasteful and they had a lot, they had more of the ball than we thought, but they weren't, they didn't really do anything with it. I think they made six passes into the box in the whole game. Yeah, I mean, Switzerland for me against Brazil really sat back and that was a bit disappointing because they've got some really good players who just didn't use them. They, they sat back and, and they left too much space open between all the lines as well, which I think I said previously on another edition of the podcast. Um, you know, and that allowed Brazil to to play through them, particularly when they got Bruno Guimaraes on. And um, so for me, I think I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Switzerland sit back a little bit more um, rather than attacking against Serbia, particularly as Serbia are, are playing wing-backs, which means they're going to get more players forwards. So Switzerland, for me, are going to, their instinct will be to sit back and try and protect those areas. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Serbia dominate possession. Um, I do think Serbia, when they have opportunities to attack, they, they look really dangerous. Obviously, Mitrovic, we've, we've talked about a lot, um, not just on the podcast, but just generally. He's such such a brilliant finisher of, of, of opportunities. But uh, you've got Milinkovic Savic as well, who's shown you know ruthless edge when he's had opportunities. Um, so I think when they get into those areas, they will threaten. I like you. I think Serbia actually the results haven't reflected their performances um, because they have looked dangerous. They've just not had not been able to get the results. But you know, a, a win against Switzerland um, that 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 might just give them the confidence. Um, that you know, should they do, should they make it through? Yeah, yeah, oh, I agree. As I said, I think I do think Serbia had a favourite to go through. Guys, before we wrap up, though, I want to kind of just have a quick discussion on the the wider, I suppose the the group's phase overall. I want to know who your biggest winners and losers are, of course. Satisha, come to you first. What which team do you think has underperformed so far in in the three matches they've played, and who was Overperformed. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In terms of overperformed, I think I would go with Australia because Australia literally they they did conflict. They did give away chances, but they have not conceded goals, which I think they have. It's been like there's luck towards their side. Of course, luck comes with hard work, but I think that's something towards their side. And in terms of expected goals, like expected goals, Australia are like in the bottom, like they're the second from bottom, but they have been able to like go through, like they haven't been able to get into the round of 16. So I think that's one team like who have been overperformed. And in terms of underperformed, like Argent, I, I would say Argentina, but they did go through to the round of 16, but I think there's still work to do. Because they have, like, they are the third highest team in terms of expected goals. But when you look at the conversion, they are not even in the top 10. Like, I think they're in the 11th question or something. So, and from the teams that have qualified so far to the round of 16, Argentina is, like, at the bottom. Like, they are way bottom in terms of the difference. So, the reason they have been able to score goals is because they have been able to create chances. They are the team with the highest chances. But moving on further in the round, I think it will be difficult for them to create chances. So, in terms of that, I think they have to be clinical with their finishing so so that it doesn't cost them hereafter. So I think just because I'm disappointed with how they've been in terms of finishing, of course, they've scored two goals in both the two like in their previous two games, but given two goals and a goal, I think, sure, one, yeah, a goal. So, but given how much chances they create and how they're actually like they expected to win the World Cup, I think they, are, they should perform better. Australia were certain, uh, certainly a great show for the overperformers as well. I actually I, I fully agree with that. But there are a couple of other teams. David, I'll come to you first, though, or, or come to you secondly. Who do you think is the big has 
overperformed and underperformed in the tournament so far? I, I was going to say Australia for overperformance because for me they are so far the team of the tournaments in terms of doing what no one expected them to do. Um, I think otherwise, it, I mean, there's, there's been a few shocks, but no teams are really kind of built on that. I mean, you look at Saudi Arabia, they, they won the first game, but then they sort of, they fell apart a little bit against Poland and that sort of undid them. Um, I think underperformed, Switzerland maybe. Um, I mean, you know, when you look at the players, I mean, I, Shakiri, as far as I know, didn't start in their last game. I don't know if he's starting tomorrow. I don't know what the problem is there. But Xhaka, I mean, we've seen a lot of him. I don't know whether he's, because he's not playing in the same role as he plays against, uh, when, when he plays for Arsenal, he's playing slightly deeper. Obviously, for Arsenal, he plays in a slightly more forward role, as Mikel Arteta likes him to. So for me, that's sort of just limiting his effectiveness. Um, you've got Briel and Bolo, who obviously is really good. I think for them, they don't start games well. And when they don't start games well, they basically go one of two ways. They either sit back like they did against Brazil or they change things like they did in their, in their first game um, against, uh, who was it? I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, Cameroon. Cameroon, that's it. And, uh, and and they sort of went and they sort of played through them and then obviously Mbolo got his goal, which came after some nice build-up plays, a nice mm-hmm. quick passing, one-touch passing. So they kind of go one or two ways, but I expected a little bit more from them. I know that they're likely to go through because they're still second in the group before the third round. Uh, fixtures have been played um but i expected them to just not necessarily results but just performances just be a little bit more up i don't know just just it just seems a bit flat excellent so i'll go for them for underperformers um and yeah australia for performance because no one expected them to win a game let alone go through to the knockout so um and i certainly didn't when i wrote the analysis in, in the big preview magazine i didn't expect them to go through like i said i i thought Tunisia will be the one that they might win. So I wasn't surprised at that, but I was very surprised at the fact they beat Denmark and the fact that they scored first against France. Yeah, I think we're all in full agreement that Australia. Yeah, I, I think I think I thought David would go with Germany, but I think see, I, see, oh, I, oh yeah, that's that's true. They're a good one from the corner. <laughs> see, I want to say for my underperformance, I do want to say like Belgium and Germany, but they haven't played yet, so they yeah. might still go through. Personally, I would still go Belgium because they, even if, even if they win today, I think they've been absolutely abysmal in the tournament so far. I will say overperformers, Morocco. If Morocco win today, they've picked up seven points from nine yeah. against you know, in the, which is unbelievable considering the, they had a relatively tough group. Canada were one of the, the dark horses. Croatia were the twenty eighteen finalists, and Belgium for the decade for you know ten yeah, years I, running yeah. of the number one ranking in FIFA. So. I think that's definitely. that's a fair shout. Yeah, Belgium definitely underperforming, yeah. and yeah, I think Stich is right. Germany as well, really underperforming. Yeah. So yeah, I'll go with both. They're good shouts as well. Yeah, I yeah, do want to say. I think the difference sorry. between Germany and Belgium would be like Belgium. It's like they've been struggling to create chances itself. Like they're they're probably ranked bottom in terms of expected goals, and that results like in terms of goals scored also they're very low. But Germany, they are like in the second place in terms of expected goals, and they've been creating chances, but. It's the goals that actually matter. So I think yeah. that's the part they have been struggling with, and that's really shown. Like it's been it's been affecting them. Like Germany, they don't have a proper striker, right? Like they do have Havertz and all, but a proper striker is something that they lack. So I think that's the difference between and Belgium and Germany. And if I, if to be honest, like I'm more disappointed with Germany than Belgium. Mm-hmm. And just a, a couple other names I want to throw out. 
definitely underperforming. Well, actually, do you know what? I'm not even going to say Qatar because they, they, we, did, we didn't give them a chance anyway. We no. didn't give them a chance anyway, so I'm not going to say they, they just performed exactly how we Yeah, they, I think you can say they met expectations, yeah. what, what their expectations were. It's not entirely up to each individual lesson, but I would say, met expectations. I would say, right, I'm going to say Wales, I thought, underperformed quite a lot. I thought they, it was a reasonably, not comfortable group, but I think it was a, if they could finish second, I believe, you know, I would put them maybe in terms of their quality just under the USA, but they could have got a result at the USA. I mean, they got a draw ultimately, but I don't think they were good. They should have beaten Iran. Let's be real. They've much better players. What are underperforms? I want to say Poland. I think the fact that Poland have gone through is, is unbelievable because it just, even in the Saudi Arabia game, the XG they conceded that, I mean, Chesney to save two penalties now. There's just no way they should be coming through in terms of XG against and, you know, the, the, the fact that they've gone two games without scoring, I think they were quite fortunate to go through overall. I think France will probably feast on them, I'd imagine, in the last 16. And then I, then, I, did, I did think about Poland, but, yeah. but but the thing is that they don't have a good history when it comes to major tournaments. Mm-hmm. You know, the last one, they, they crashed out of the, the Euros, mm-hmm. didn't do well in that one. So that's the reason I thought actually Poland maybe aren't performing. They're performing as we thought mm-hmm. they might. They're, as you said, they're lucky to go through because the level they're playing is what we've come to expect from Poland. Yeah. It's just... They don't quite turn up. I do definitely think that Denmark underperformed as well. I mean, they finished bottom with only one point. And finally, I just want to say, this is controversial. Sorry, I'll edit this. Anyway, this is quite controversial. I just want to say, I believe the Netherlands have underperformed. I understand they got seven out of nine points and it's really harsh. There's, I mean, the XG, if you look at the XG in the game against Ecuador, they, I think they, they finished with like 1.1 XG, or sorry, 0.1 XG or 0.2 XG. It was compared to Ecuador's nearly two. It was unbelievable how they got away with a draw. I think against Qatar again, they were quite meh. Uh, and Qatar weren't good, let's be real. I, I would have expected Louis van Gaal's side to, to wipe the floor with Qatar, and they didn't. And again, it's Senegal. Senegal had 14 shots in that game. They just couldn't finish. And the Netherlands were really poor. And I just think okay, they have the USA in the next round and they will probably progress into the quarterfinals. But once they get a much better side, I think they'll be waving goodbye ultimately to the tournament. Yeah, the Netherlands, I think, are on the same, they're in the same boat as Switzerland for me. They will, obviously, the Netherlands have gone through Switzerland haven't quite secured the place yet, but they're in the same boat in terms of the fact they've got good players, they are getting the points that are going to get them through as things stand. But the performances have been flat. I mean, I mean, Louis Van Gaal. We know when he's at Manchester United, he, he plays a particular way. It's not the most entertaining football, but it gets the job done. And you feel like that's what's happening with the Netherlands. They're not playing entertaining football. They're not looking like an enjoyable time to, to a team to watch. But they are getting the job done, and obviously have done because they've played their final group games. But yeah, so for me, they are on the same level as Switzerland. They're turned up. They're not playing brilliantly, but they're getting it through. I, I actually felt that when Van Gaal was at Manchester United, he he had a personal vendetta against me. I think he wanted to spoil my love for the sport. I was actually, I mean, there, there was a time, especially I remember around, around winter, um, any Manchester United fans listening to this will remember this, but I think they went 10, 10 games without scoring a first half goal. I mean, if you if you look at all the first halves and it was like nil all, nil, 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 it was unbelievable. It just, it sucked any love I had out of the sport for that period. And I love Van Hal because he's entertainment personified. But just not when you watch his teams. Just yeah. uh, he's more entertaining off the pitch than his teams are on it. So I think that's agreed. Yeah, fully agreed. <laughs>
David, Satish, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed this chat. To all the listeners at home, I hope you enjoyed too. And make sure to tune in tomorrow as we review all of the action from Thursday's games, as well as tactically preview the first two matches of the knockout phase, which features the Netherlands versus the USA and Argentina against Australia. So make sure to check back in for that and share the podcast too as it really helps us grow. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now. Yeah.